Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, countdown to more football as we look ahead to the weekend's action and back on the way we were at the start of the season when these sides last matched up. Also today, the big shorts and the rest of Adama Traore's kit and the match that produced the most bad managers in history in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Totally Football Show, opening weekend in the Premier League in which the top two looked tip-top. Ashley Barnes went hip-hop. We discovered Carl Walker proved a fast runner. Norwich was not power. United made Lampard's Chelsea look frankly awful. And Watford failed to stare down the hungry seagulls. All of that and more getting discussed in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yep, that's how we sounded back on the 12th of August, opening day of the season. When, listener, excuse this conceit, these same fixtures as this weekend were also played. We're joining us today, Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, I wasn't quite as pale as this back then either. No, Nick Miller's here as well. Uh, hello, I've always been this pale. So. Right, and making up the numbers quite literally. What? It's Duncan Alexander <laughs> of Opta. I refute that, but hi. Yeah, hi to you. Wow. So, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting opportunity just to kind of have a look back on the way we were how things seemed back on, on opening day as these same teams line up again uh, for what should be six games this weekend. But once again, we've got a storm coming in, haven't we? Storm Dennis next. Mm. Yeah. Well, the two Saturday games, apparently the ones at risk, we, we, as we speak on Thursday morning, Southampton's clash with Burnley, where forecast is of 60 mile an hour gales and heavy rain. And similar at Carrow Road, where Liverpool are supposed to be visiting Norwich. And it might be a shock to the system for mm. them after that mid-season break, loads of them in Dubai coming back for Storm Dennis this weekend. Good point, Lindsay. So uh, that opening round of games back in August, uh, it was funny to look back on what we assumed from those opening games. Norwich getting beaten 4-1 at Liverpool and maybe that gave us some indication of how their their respective campaigns were going to go. Other matches, not so much. Um, Arsenal's win at Newcastle, for example, uh, where Steve Bruce, I think everyone had his job expectancy probably in minutes and, and Arsenal were being hailed for their excellent summer transfer market, uh, didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, I don't want to throw Matt Davis-Adams under the bus too much here, but he did say on the, the opening podcast from after the opening weekend, he did say that he thought that game was an indication that Arsenal could do very well this season. Brilliant. Cut to now, third manager of the season. They've only won once under Arteta now, I think. And they're on the same points as Newcastle. Same points they as Newcastle. are, aren't they? Uh, what wayward conclusions did you do you regret from opening day, Lindsay? I think that one of the major conclusions I jumped to was that after Liverpool beat Norwich 4-1 and then Manchester City went and beat West Ham 5-0 and outscored them I thought that was going to be the theme all the way in a similar fashion to the previous season where they had these very high points totals and they were always on each other's tails I thought it was going to be like that Manchester City setting the pace yeah I remember uh, humorously tweeting at the end of the uh, West Ham City game that Liverpool had blown the title by only scoring four against Norwich. Obviously, they scored four before half time and then did that classic thing of not scoring in the second half. Mm. And, it, and you're right; it did seem like oh, they're already they're already behind City, and this is going to be a long season. Yeah, I was I was at that City West Ham game, and I remember being quite 
sort of dispirited as they completely bulldozed West Ham because I just thought, well, this is just going to be the same again. And Another procession. Yeah, yeah. equally a massive scoreline for Man United in their clash with Chelsea at Old Trafford. And at the time, uh, all the reports were hailing the, the fresh look with Maguire and, <laughs> and AWB. Well, I think, to be fair to this pod as a, as a whole, we were possibly the most sceptical about well, that yeah. 4-0 win. And mm. we've have we been proven right, narrator? Yes. Um so, I mean, the other things from the opening day, uh, Ndombele scored for Spurs. You know, first player to score in his debut for Spurs since Eric Dyer. It's quite right. a long time. We, we were like, well, he's going to be like a, you know, signing of the season. Whereas just yesterday, Gazzetta de la Sport, no less an august publication than, um, counted him among Europe's top flops of the season. At least no one wants to be part of. <laughs> um, and also, on the opening day, yeah. Jack Grealish, his 19th consecutive Premier League defeat, which was the sort of Grealish angle in August. He's gone on to have, you know, possibly one of the best seasons of anyone in the Premier League. So, wow, six months a long time. You can't football. judge anything in August, no, apart from tomatoes, maybe. Well, we're older now, and we're all clever swine. So let's get on to this weekend's games. After this, you're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, this weekend, Lindsay. Woof. There's a Midlands clash, Wolves Leicester. There's a Moo Derby at Chelsea Man United. Tim Sherwood derby as well, excitingly. Villa Spurs. Mm. Uh, potentially there's a top of the bottom with the Norwich v Liverpool, though that is one of, as we mentioned, the two matches that are viewed at risk from Storm Dennis. Saints Burnley the other. Uh, fingers crossed, though. Let's bring some wind of our own uh, to the weekend. First of all, Norwich-Liverpool, top and bottom. Foregone conclusions, Lindsay. Foregone conclusion that... Liverpool will win the league. Is it a foregone conclusion that Norwich are going down? And is the result in this match a foregone conclusion? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion in this match. I think it is for the others. I think Norwich are going down. Liverpool, I think there's 55 points between these two teams in the league, which seems crazy Sounds a from lot, top to bottom. Mm. Um, and Liverpool can extend their lead because of that delay as well with the Man City-West Ham game. It can go to 25 points, which is incredible at this point of the season. So I think it's a foregone conclusion. Liverpool will be lifting the title. Uh, what I think that Norwich can take something from is the fact that Liverpool have this match with Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, the first leg on Tuesday. So I think that some players will be held back by Jurgen Klopp and Norwich have shown that they can at home put on a really good display if Pukki's on form as well they could spring something on Liverpool they did it against Manchester City mm. uh, Mane uh, back in training I think he'll be saved for Tuesday um, so I don't think it will be full strength Liverpool for this I don't really have any kind of logic to this but it seems I just feel like if Liverpool aren't going to lose this season they will lose one of these kind of theoretically easy games that would be so football wouldn't it it would be so football and you know as as Lindsay said bigger things on, on their minds they can kind of cruise through the rest of this season in the league and that might possibly lead to them dropping some stupid points at some point obviously as Lindsay said they can go 25 points clear it, it's kind of bent the space-time continuum slightly and I'm like, yeah. like you're sort of thinking well if their league got cut to 18 that's, well, that's a bit shaky but like 18 point lead is ridiculous anyway. Well so, 18 is as many points as Norwich have picked up this entire season. Well exactly I mean I think the one thing we can possibly guarantee about this game is goals it's the most kind of goal laden fixture in Premier League history. Is it? Is it really? Of, uh, of all fixtures to be played 10 or more times in Premier League history this has got uh, an average of four per game which is pretty good and last time out this fixture at Carrow Road yep. remember uh, Norwich 4, Liverpool 5. Um, Liverpool scoring the last minute winner. Colcom is in there! And Milan, oh, it's 5-4 to Liverpool! 
o'clock getting involved, broke his glasses. He then had to wear his spare glasses and he said it made him look like a serial killer. Um, <laughs> what was what kind of glasses were they? They looked quite similar to the old ones, but slightly right. darker rims. But oh, maybe that they were a little bit more Jack Duckworth for anyone who's got the Coronation Street references. Okay, yeah. yeah. So that was five four. In fact, Liverpool has scored five in three of their last four visits to to Carrow Road, and they're they're promising a fresh spectacle this time. You feel? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing, obviously, they don't have the master of destruction of Norwich, Luis Suarez, who scored 12 goals in six appearances against Norwich, which is, which is quite a lot. 2.2% of all the goals Norwich have ever let in in the Premier League have scored by Luis Suarez. Always love that kind of stat. Norwich haven't beaten Liverpool at Carrow Road since the inaugural season of the Premier League. 1st of May, 1993. Wow. A David Phillips penalty, me neither, was the difference for Mike Walker's Canaries against Graham Souness's Liverpool. You don't remember David Phillips? No, I, I was, remember I was Dave away. Benson Phillips. No, <laughs> different, different, <laughs> different, different chap. He was a, a uh, cultured sitting midfielder. Was he? Okay. David Phillips played for Forest in <sighs> mid nineties. That's All why right. you remember Nick Miller. Well, yeah, you know, it's a very formative part of my youth, David Phillips. Brilliant. So uh, Nick's touting this as a potential banana skin. Duncan, how do you feel about Nick's? Banana. Banana skin, up <laughs> theory. Uh, I mean, I have thought this at other points this season. Yeah. And then Liverpool, you know, like the Southampton game the other week at Anfield. Southampton were all over them for the first half. Yeah. And the Liverpool still just cranked out a 4 now. So, and Norwich, for all their good points, are pretty ropey at the back. And Liverpool are pretty good going forward. So, right. I can't see. The Wolves fan talking over here was like, if Wolves can't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the closest. They've, I mean, that definitely feels like Liverpool's luckiest result of the season, the win at Molyneux. Mm. Mm. Sunday at two o'clock, Aston Villa facing Spurs and worrying pictures emerging from uh, Tottenham's training ground this week with uh, Moo, he's gone full metal jacket, mm. shaven. <laughs> I don't like it. The head. That's, it, it, I mean, it's early. It's way too early. It's usually, what, second season, third season that he shaves the head and and you know that we're in the end times. It's normally the summer before the third season on a a pre-season tour and he'll he'll whip it off and then bad things happen. But didn't he claim this time it was a mistake? He claimed he fell asleep in the barber's chair and when he woke up, the haircut was so bad he asked him to shave it all off. This might sound trivial, but... If you have someone who continually kind of signposts their mental state by getting the same haircut, I think you have to take notice when that haircut crops up again. Ness Parnik. Uh, sure, yeah. So you think this is a declaration of war by... Uh, I don't know. Or do you think he's kind of going too far up the river and he's going to, you know, end up going full Kurtz with this? You're believing the rumours that he, he thinks he made a mistake. Of going to Spurs? That, that was in, in the reports this week, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. Right. Lindsay, you were at Tottenham Training Ground this week. I was covering Tottenham and Arsenal in the same day. Right. Um, so I, I was How covering How far Spurs. is it between the... Uh, in traffic, it can be an hour sometimes. Right. Depends on how bad it is. Um, but before the mid-season player break, I had to remind myself that Spurs had beaten Manchester City 2-0. The fact that they'd gone three games unbeaten, that this is quite a good run for Mourinho. So seeing this new haircut right now, I would say that the signposting and the timing isn't quite what you're suggesting because right. it's good times at the moment. Lascelles back in training. Ben Davis could be back for this one, who's a player that from the very beginning, Mourinho said he wanted to get back in the starting eleven. They've also, uh, Harry Kane's been out for eight games and they've only lost one of those games in all competitions, which was to Liverpool. So Interesting. Him, him 
being out hasn't been the sort of calamity that certainly Mourinho sort of painted it as because before the Liverpool game he said we haven't got Harry Kane so we can't play in our usual way right but you know they've done alright Son has they scored they tried to be fair <laughs> they did try yeah Son's scored in his last four games so it's certainly in attack they haven't missed Harry Kane a huge amount brilliant uh, Villa meanwhile one point from the drop and they have a terrible record Duncan isn't that right against Tottenham one win in 16 yeah, and Spurs have got a particularly good record against promoted teams. They're unbeaten in the last 22 away games against promoted sides. But you know that if Villa do pull off a result here, people will be going, typical Spurs to lose to promoted teams. I think not. Villa have, have really missed John McGinn because he fractured his ankle, was it, against Southampton. And they're saying that he's back in training, but most likely going to return for the final that's what they're aiming for for the Carabao Cup final first of March so I don't think he'll make this match and I I do think that they don't click quite as well when he's not in the side Okay, Uh, Deli Ali in other news has apologised after a social media post in which he filmed a random Asian man and joked about the coronavirus which is forecast to kill two thirds of the world's population so you know Uh, anyway interesting well that game coming up at 2 o'clock on Sunday weather permitting After this, we're going to talk about the standout fixture of the weekend. The Cheltenham Festival is drawing ever nearer. And what better way to gear up for the greatest show on turf than hearing from the winning most festival jockey of all time. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Neves trying to thread one through, and it's through to Jimenez, and Jota's in the middle! Jota! Oh! Oh, Diabadada! Surely wins the game for Wolves! Jota's hat-trick! Wolves 4, Leicester 3! You will never, ever forget this game! Wolves 4, Leicester 3, just last season... What an incredible game that was. Yet the irony is that given what happened in the Champions League semi-finals after and one or two other matches, that game did get a little bit lost among all the others as, as one of the game of the season contenders, Nick. I confess, yeah, I don't, this, well, this, this says more about me than the quality of the game, but I confess I don't remember this game at all from no. the last season. Oh. Lindsay, you were probably there. I was there, of so course. rose-tinted spectacles, but it was my favourite game of, of last season. Why? I think it was the drama and I think it was the lateness to all of the drama as well. Wolves had been quite convincing. You know, they were 2-0 up inside about 12, 13 minutes. Um, and then just after the restart, because Claude Powell did look like a broken figure at half time, but they did respond. And I was really, really shocked that Leicester came out. They got two goals back. It was 2-2. And then Wolves go ahead again, only for Wes Morgan to go and equalise. And I was like, no, that's it. You know, we really deserve to win this game and we're going to take a point. And then 93rd minute. Yeah. Jota gets a hat trick. A hat trick. Um, and Nuno's on his knees. Nuno with the goes and celebrates. He gets sent to the stands. And Claude Puel's got his head in his, his hands. His hands, that picture. He just and then I think Broken. he was from that match the fav, next favourite manager to go. And I yeah, think he did. He did. Um so I, I remember it for a lot of reasons. Right. Mainly for, for that celebration with Nuno as well, because the passion that was on display. Right, what a man. Uh, it was nil nil when they met uh, on opening day at King Power. Duncan. Well, I remember Wolves for Leicester 3 from 2003. Oh, okay. I remember being poo-pooed this time last season, saying, oh, this one could end 4-3 again. Really? And it did. Okay, what do you predict for this weekend then? (coughs) Really? Do you? Just linking back to that 2003 game again. Mm. 
two of the goals scored by Les Ferdinand in that game. Really? Who is the top scoring player in Premier League history with all the letters of Dennis, a la Storm Dennis, <laughs> in his name? Did you just do that now? No. I had it prepared. He's top. Ruud van Nistelrooy, second. Right. Dennis Bergkamp is yeah, third. Yeah, I <laughs> That makes sense. Okay, uh, what about Leicester then? Are they coming out uh, of their slump anytime soon? Essentially, is Wilfred and Didi going to be back anytime soon? Nick, what's the latest? I uh, believe not for this game. But well, well, Brendan Rodgers has said he's doubtful. Uh, I don't know whether that necessarily means that he won't play mm. or not. But um, yeah, doesn't not looking good at the moment. Two wins in the last seven in all competitions for Leicester. They lost three and drawn one in their last four. Jamie Vardy is still the top scorer in the Premier League despite failing to score in his last five league matches. Well, there might be more of a reliance for Leicester on on someone like Harvey Barnes Mm. now. And actually, going back to that 4-3 fixture, that was Harvey Barnes' first Premier League start in that match against Wolves. Um, So he's come a long way since then. And there was was some jeopardy in that as well because of him coming from West Brom, um, which which I didn't like. But I think he's really come on as a player. He could be key for them. Um, Another point that I wanted to make in contrast to that match last season is how the tables have turned between Leicester and Wolves because going back then Leicester had a real habit of conceding first in fact I think it was a league high at that point they conceded the opening goal 15 times going into that match against Wolves um, at Molyneux and now this time it's Wolves that keep letting goals in first and keep conceding and having to come back. Well Lindsay you met Adama Traore or Adama Traktore as I like to call him does he need special equipment? <laughs> what? In terms of his kit? Well, I thought he was wearing cycling shorts the first time I saw him up close, but they're not. They're just standard shorts that every right. player wears, but they're so tight around those huge thighs of his right. that they look they, like they could be lycra. Um, they're not. He wears them very high as well. Okay. Because he has actually got a wider berth around his, his medium part of his thigh. So mm. the shorts have to sit just above. How does he get them up? Because they have to pass over the thick bit of the thigh yeah. to get there. Maybe they sew them on. I don't know. But, you know, this is, I mean, we joke about it, but he wouldn't be the first player to experience these difficulties. Nick, you were pointing out that Neil Ruddock, when he was player coach at Swindon, actually had to delay his debut because they couldn't find shorts big enough for him. Apparently so, yeah. Apparently he tried. Uh, had to try on uh, 86 different pairs of shorts. None of them fitted, so... Uh, and they had to get ones made in Egypt, apparently. <laughs> That's the only yeah. place they had enough cotton or something. But they made special custom shorts. It was, it's one of those stories that's kind of, you think, well, this has you know, grown a little in the telling. But there are so many stupid little details in it that, that you almost think no one could make it up. Right. Traore's mm. thighs do have uh, their own Twitter account. Do you know I thought that? you were going to say postcode. No. But they right. probably do have that as well. Right. But they have their own Twitter account. He he got a scoring, interesting to know if any of you play FIFA, he had a physicality scoring for this season of 75. What's What would be a normal physicality scoring? Well, round about 70. I, I think 75 is very low for Traore. I mean, he should oh, be I about see, right. 96 or something right. for physicality he's, rate. He's actually a very frustrating player on FIFA because he's incredibly fast but can't shoot. So right. he'd get you in a lot of good positions and then... Nothing. So they're, they're going on old stats, aren't they? We, we we referenced the Wolves' performance against Liverpool, and he was really the, the key in that. It looked absolutely 
unstoppable. Now, since then, he's picked up a dislocated shoulder, of course. How's his fitness for this weekend? I think he's going to be fine for it. He seems to be made of strong stuff as we're talking. Um, What I would point out, I'm wondering if Duncan can back me up on this one, is that he's received more fouls that have led to yellow cards than any other player, including Wilfred Zahar. Yes. Okay. Leicester's defence have not been the most solid of late. How do you fancy their chances of stopping Stormadama? Yeah, I mean, they've been switching between a back four and a back five quite a lot. I mean, Ben Chilwell possibly ha- isn't having the best second half of the season we've ever seen from a player. So it could be a tricky afternoon for him. I mean, I think I've said this on here before, but um, in 2017-18, Adama Traore by himself, albeit in the Championship, had more dribbles uh, than the entire Burnley squad put together. So... He does like running with the ball. What a threat he poses. Uh, that'll be Friday night, that game, and apparently that one is safe from Storm Dennis. One other player who came up in our chat about getting custom shorts made, Nick, was Stuart Pierce. Yeah, this is a very much a kind of a window into our preparation for these podcasts that we talk about, you know, specialist shorts. But yes, Stuart Pierce straddled the era of uh, the... Uh, the shorter shorts going into the longer shorts in the early 90s. He uh, didn't like the longer shorts. He felt they uh, constricted his massive thighs. So he had shorter shorts specially made for him. Right. Okay, fair enough. I, I can think of, I'm trying to think. Who, who has long shorts when everyone else has short? I'm sure there are players. No, yeah, can't no. think of that. Well, we'll I mean, just There's on. possibly never been a bigger uh, disparity than the 80s to the 90s in terms of kit size right it? because the 80s the shorts were incredibly high yes and then by the mid 90s you know players couldn't run because they were billowing so much I and mean, if you get an an old shirt from the 1990s the arms are generally wider than the length of the shirt it's mm. just it's madness i always feel like jamie vardy's shorts are fairly long mm. <laughs> well further thoughts on the weekend coming up after this You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Anna Wilson writes in, hi Anna. Anna says, if you're interested, human gestation is about 9.5 months. We were discussing people having kids 90 days after Liverpool's comeback against Barcelona and Snigger, etc. and so on. But uh, Anna points out due date is 40 weeks starting from day one of the cycle. It's usually a couple of weeks before the actual date of conception. Anna's just had uh, a baby herself. Congratulations, Anna. Congratulations, Anna. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sorting that out. Now, Sunday afternoon, Arsenal are facing Newcastle. Back on opening day, Arsenal went all the way up to St. James's Park and won 1-0. And as we mentioned at the top, Steve Bruce looked doomed. Instead, half a season later, these two teams are on the same points, And it's Arsenal who are on their third manager of the season. Nick. Arsenal do have a great record against Newcastle. They've won 13 of their last 14 Premier League meetings. But wouldn't it just be so football if Steve Bruce were to win this one? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Arsenal, as I think we said before, have only actually won one game under Mikel Arteta. And they're very much kind of... You can see what they're trying to do, but they're not quite doing it yet. And Newcastle have pulled off some... Slightly unlikely results mm. uh, this and, season. Yeah, a couple in London. But they had they won at West Ham. They won at Spurs as well. Yeah, and uh, they beat Manchester United at, at home early on the season. Although maybe that's not quite so unlikely. But yeah, you, you could you could certainly see them doing something uh, against Arsenal. Can you? Can you, Duncan? Not really. No, Duncan grimace. Yeah, I did down. grimace. But I, I mean, they need Jelinton to to score. Basically, if he plays this game, plays the whole match, he'll he'll pass thirty hours. 
without a goal in the Premier League, which is not a classic uh, scoring rate. 30 Hours, obviously, is also a Kanye West song produced by Mike Dean. And who's the referee for this game? Lee Mason, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. Okay. I, I think this warm weather training out in Dubai, team bonding, we've seen such happy players. Uh, Lacazette, Ozil, both giving interviews in the last few days saying how happy they are and that we should all expect to see improvements over the next few weeks. Uh, they've been adopting new tactics under Arteta. They're saying life's much better under him than it was Unai Emery. Um, and I think all of that will come into play in this game. However... Lacazette does need to start firing in goals again. He's yet to score under Arteta. Wow. Yeah, interesting those comments. Meza Ozil is just two months and Mikel's been here. We've improved a lot tactically. I feel a bit bit bad about Unai Emery. I don't think you need to go out in the press and say the old gaffer was rubbish. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was, I don't know whether it was directly in response to, but Emery gave this interview to France Football in which, you know, people can find it and read the whole thing. But the the summary is, well, all that was someone's fault, but it sure as hell wasn't mine. (laughs) I don't think it was just Emery though. I mean, I don't think it's any hidden secret that Wenger wasn't that tactically on top of things towards the end, was Mm. he? I I just think that Arsenal have been lacking that tactical coach for some time. (laughs) Arteta was on the field for Arsenal when they won 7-3 against Newcastle back in 2012. Newcastle, uh, their last victory uh, in this fixture was 1-0 in 2010 when Andy Carroll scored. And he could be in the... Could, yeah. could he be in the team sheet this, on the team sheet? Yeah, he could yeah. be. Um, if he's not on Bebo, as he might have been back in 2010, although possibly not as late as 2010, to be fair. When was Bebo a thing? Sort of mid-2000s. But right. obviously, semi-famously, someone found Andy Carroll's account on it. Um, he was called the Big AC, which is reasonable. Um, and he said... He the l- other Big AC would have been more reasonable, but yeah. Yeah, true. Um, and he said how he loves dance music and hip-hop and spending time with my pals from football and having a drink with them and going to town. Right. When, so this was when he was, what, a teenager? Yeah, like 15 Okay, which is more or less the age he was when he must have scored this goal in 2010, no? When he was you know, well, the hot young thing of English football. Sort of 21-ish then. That would be nice. I mean, I think, whether you're a Newcastle fan or not, the idea of... Andy Carroll, somehow, you know, that having a third act to his career would... It, it's a very romantic notion, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would still maintain that Andy Carroll's goal against Sweden is the best header of the 2010s. In, was it Euro 2012? If he could stay fit, if you could guarantee one good, you know, one fit game for Andy Carroll, you'd probably pick him. Is that effective? Nice one, Duncan. Well, who knows this weekend against Arsenal. Anyway, also tied on 31 points with the Gunners and Newcastle are Lindsay, Southampton and Burnley. And they meet this weekend. They do. And incidentally, they're also both seven points clear of the drop zone. Um, Now, Southampton at home haven't been great. I think they've collected the fewest points in front of their own fans all season. And then they're going to be facing Burnley, who have been on this hot streak. They had victories against Leicester, Man United, quite a credible draw as well against Arsenal. So I think Burnley probably tipped the scales for this one. Really? Burnley should have definitely should have won that game against mm, Arsenal. They yeah. threw they threw a lot of very presentable chances. It was 3-0 to the Clarets on the opening day at Turf Moor with a brace for Ashley Barnes. As you mentioned, seven points clear the pair of them now a few weeks ago and this very much would have been a desperate relegation struggle. Yeah, I think this is the game that pits together the two clubs that have been most kept faith in their philosophy most of the season. You know, it would have been easy to panic a few months ago, um, particularly Southampton, obviously, with the 9-0 against Leicester. But they've both kind of 
gone back to basics and they're doing what they do best. You know, Burnley are keeping clean sheets. Only Liverpool have kept more clean sheets than Burnley this season. And Southampton are just the best pressing team outside Liverpool and City. I mean, they've had more uh, shot-ending high turnovers. So, in other words, winning the ball high up the pitch and then turning that into an effort on goal. Only City and Liverpool have had more than them. Um, all the numbers, even a couple of months ago, indicated that Southampton were going to be OK. And that's kind of been borne out in the last few weeks. You know, Southampton have got Danny Ings, who hasn't scored, actually, in the uh, Premier League since early January. So he's due a goal, but right. still, obviously still a really integral part to how they play. Nice. He did get a goal in the FA Cup, though. Facing his former team here, Danny Ings, as is former St. J. Rodriguez for Burnley. Hmm... Uh, two other games as well coming up in the next week. One is the rescheduled Man City West Ham, which is going to happen now Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday next week, right? And uh, and uh, very surprisingly, same time as Champions League, Champions which League, I thought yeah. couldn't happen. No, I think they've they've downgraded it from a hard and fast rule to kind of frowned upon, but they will uh, take the frowned upon yeah. because they've got no other time to play it. Right. And Chelsea Man United, which will be on Monday night. Now, we'll talk a bit more about that game on Monday morning, or Sunday evening, in fact, when we record Monday morning's show. But one or two stories we could touch on in the meanwhile. First of all, from a Man United point of view, Odin Egalu, uh, his transfer to Man United is, is proving very ill-starred so far. After not being allowed to come on their warm-weather training break, He's now been sent to train away from the other players this week as a precautionary measure because he was once in China. Uh, he's been stuck down at the National Taekwondo Centre. That's in the centre of Manchester, apparently. And, yeah, that's where he's been doing all his training. Poor chap. Other Man United stories this week include the fact that Mauricio Pochettino was pictured at Griffin Park emerging from a tunnel shortly before the shadowy figure of United's new PR, Supremo Neil Ashton. Was this a classic Neil Ashton spin move, Nick? What's he, what's he spinning? Is he is he trying to kind of give the public image that they, he's courting Pochettino? I'm not sure. I don't know. This was very much how it was hailed. Uh, there, was a lot, there were a lot of, admittedly, probably clickbait headlines of Pochettino pictured with Neil Ashton. But in actual fact, it was just that he came out alongside uh, Crituton, I think, mm. and then the man who was kind of looking at his phone next to them was was Neil Ashton. Of course, also, um, Graham Gooch was in the same box, so maybe there's rumours rumors linking uh, Pochettino with a job with the ECB. Who Can knows? you not stretch this further, though? The yes. fact that Pochettino, on his wish list, were Fernandez, who they've bought in, mm. and Jaden Sancho, who they're now being linked with. Is that more than a coincidence? I don't know, Lindsay. What do you call it? Come on. I, I'm just saying that perhaps they're getting all of their... Ducks in a row ready for a Pochettino incoming. Perhaps. Jane Sancho, they're being linked with. Chelsea are one or two steps closer to Ajax winner Hakim Ziyech, who is a phenomenal player. At least he was when we saw Ajax in the the Champions League. Oh, my word. Yeah, of all the the players that um, were in that Ajax team, got to the semi-final last year, he was always the one that was most enjoyable to watch anyway because he just had a sort of an element of chaos about him that was incredibly entertaining. And then, of course, that, that crossfield pass that's been replayed on Twitter about a billion times uh, over the, the past week. But uh, I enjoy watching it every time. Eric Ten Hag sounded uh, pretty relaxed about him leaving at the end of the season. In fact, seemed stunned that he'd been... That no one had picked him up before now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I assumed there had been 
it, maybe Ajax had just kind of got to the point where they'd sold enough players that they yeah. didn't have to let him go, or maybe there was you know some other reason why people didn't go for him. But I, he would have been the first first one, if, uh, one of the first ones on that team that I would have gone for. ZX Sale, which they're talking about forty million pounds at the moment, would take the amount of money generated from the sales by Ajax since last summer's semi final run to Nick. Two hundred and thirty million pounds. Incredible. I mean, I don't. I, this, this is not necessarily a reason for Chelsea or anyone not to buy Ziyech, but I, I don't know how, how many of the players that they sold last season have actually kind of succeeded hugely in their new clubs. I know you know in Delict hasn't been a resounding success at Juventus. No, there's been a long kind of bedding in period. Although I think now they're feeling that they're beginning to see the best of him. De Jong at Barcelona. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think he's been quite the player that they they thought he was going to be. I can't pretend that I've watched Barcelona every week this season. That's a very good question, uh, Nick. But the the prospect of Ziyech uh, pinging those diagonals across at Stamford Bridge is all the same. A very, very exciting one. Anyway, we'll discuss uh, Chelsea Man United more, uh, as I say, in Monday morning's extra early Totally Football show. Loads more on the way in today's edition, including a quick Football League roundup. Jürgen Klinsmann latest and some of your top, top questions. First, though, here comes Paddy Power. Mm, happy almost Valentine's Day, listener. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. And Lee, let's start from Friday night where Wolves are taking on Leicester. It was a goal fest last season at Molyneux. So uh, are you expecting more of the same this time? Well, maybe. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Although two words of warning. One... It's very long odds, 175 to 1, in fact, for the same result this time. Two, a nil-nil is far more likely, not just in the odds where it's 8 to 1, but also based on history, with two of the last three meetings between these sides ending goalless. I don't want to be a total Debbie Downer, though, so I'll end on this. It's 125 to 1 that Diego Jota scores a hat-trick, just as he did in the same fixture last season. Here's hoping. Meanwhile, Lee, Aston Villa are hosting Tottenham Hotspur at Villa Park on Sunday. Villa haven't won there at home um, against Spurs for more than 12 years. So will that run come to an end this weekend? Um, No, not really. Although Spurs aren't always trustworthy this season or for the last year away from home. That said, we do still make Tottenham odds on to win this one at 5-6. Aston Villa are 3-1 to to win at home. Although it is getting close to that time of the year where one or two of the teams in a relegation battle start to pull results out of their never regions. A win here for Villa would certainly qualify as that. And finally, the big one, top versus bottom. Give us some odds, please, on Norwich beating Liverpool at Carrow Road. (laughs) Well, certainly the big one when it comes to odds. It feels like a long time since Norwich were put on a spirited display at Anfield and not long later beating Man City, doesn't it? This weekend, they are 10-1 to to beat the champions and 9-2 just to get a draw. Liverpool 1-4 to win at Carrow Road, and to be honest, they're so good at the moment that that almost feels like brilliant value. Almost. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Football news from midweek. Celtic are now 10 points clear of Rangers. After Stephen Gerrard's side suffered a shock 2-1 defeat at Kilmarnock Wednesday night, Nick. Meanwhile, in the Football League, I'm so sorry because we had you, we were prodding you into saying 
things about forest and promotion and look what happened. You goaded me into being optimistic mm. and I'll never forgive you. What happened to them midweek? Well, a couple of injuries uh, on top of that, Sablu Mucci rested uh, a few key players because they were playing Charlton who are towards the bottom of the league and presumably thought that they would win it relatively easily um, with a second string team and Forrest lost 1-0 and oh. uh, afterwards Lamucci admitted that he had uh, stuffed that one up. Right. Um, but also... Uh, Leeds and Brentford drew 1-1 in what was uh, apparently a fairly turgid game overlooked by Mojo Pochettino and, and the rest. Neil Ashton. And Neil Ashton, Graham of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, last night, Wednesday night, uh, West Brom uh, went further clear, six points clear uh, of Leeds, I think, the, the, and they beat Reading 2-1. Yeah, West Brom are effectively six points clear of third now, so a very comfortable margin for them. Yeah, the Leeds and, and West Brom both looked sort of um, as if they were going to run away with things in December. They both then went on uh, dreadful runs. I think that was very much a blip for West Brom. They're now recovering, but I think this might be a little bit more of a kind of... Uh, a sustainable port- run? Uh, it's more sustainable run for them, but for Leeds, I think it's more of a kind of portent of what the season will be. They will be a little bit more inconsistent and they will drop silly points, but they will, you know, stay up there. Once, but- once again, really big games coming up this weekend when Leeds will be facing Bristol City, who are just outside the playoff places, while West Brom take on your Forest. Yeah. At the Hawthorns, right? Uh, Forest are going to smash that one, aren't they? It's the kind of it's the way the championship works. The Forest will beat Leeds last weekend, lose to Charlton, and uh, could well get a result against uh, the best team in the division. It's very congested, isn't it? We've got Bristol City only three points behind second place, and they're in seventh. Um, Preston currently in sixth. Be good to see them go up. They're the only former champions of England never to play in the Premier League. It's interesting. Nick, you wrote a piece for the TotallyFootballShow.com on where to find the tightest title race. In Europe, where was it? Yeah, well, I mean, as a few people pointed out, the Championship is the, the one of the best places to look if you want some kind of tight title race. But if you want elite leagues across the mm-hmm. continent, uh, Turkey looks like a good shout. There, uh, there is currently just where are we? Six points separating first and seventh place. Right. Okay, that's good. Uh, Sivasspor currently leading, and the, the, the promoted Sivasspor promo- and the sort of giants. Uh, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce and Besiktas are all in 5th, 6th and 7th. So right. um, that adds a little bit to it. Also, of course, Syria. Syria, three teams, one point. Yeah, Bundesliga as well. Right. Bayern, Leipzig, Dortmund and Russian Munch and Gladbach all what, at the top. What about there. Northern Ireland? We often get listeners writing in saying Northern Ireland. Just that's all they say. <laughs> are they talking about the football? Or yeah, no, they're talking situation? about the, uh, the the title race, which is... Yeah, the top five are all pretty close. Linfield are, are currently uh, four points clear at the top, but then second to fifth are separated by two points. Okay, yeah. So mm. there's there's plenty of excitement out there if you are bored by the procession that is the Premier League title race. I'm right. not bored, though. Why is everyone saying that well, it's like the worst Premier bored. League season? And uh, aren't, the, uh, aren't the viewing figures higher this season? Yeah. Than, than is that before? right? Yeah. I must admit, I'm not bored. I think it's no. phenomenal. I mean, it's not like they're grinding it out. They have had some games in which they might have been fortunate to come away with wins, but they are. I think there is that consciousness that we're witnessing something absolutely phenomenal in the same way that it's not necessarily bored to watch Leo Messi put full goals past some hapless Djokovic opponent. when he's at his best. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's actually, thinking back, I'm just about old enough to remember 92, 93, and there was this similar kind of thing that year when it had been so long that since Manchester United had won the league. It was mm. this kind of albatross, not only not just over United, but kind of over the whole of English football. And it, this has a very similar feel to it this season. It's like, you know, Liverpool were finally, finally 
surely going to do it. It's a whole new ball game. Mm. It, it is a different sort of thing, though. I think a bit of more of a wider excitement if there is a very tight title race. I think you. I think we all admire this Liverpool team, and we're kind of watching them and admiring them. But I, well, I think know. yeah, a lot of people have made this point recently that oh, you know, it, there's not much competitiveness. And but I always say that the closest season in Premier League history from top to bottom is 96-97 which is possibly one of the least memorable seasons I mean, um, it's, it's certainly not dull to watch Liverpool and everybody else's games there's plenty plenty of other matters to be resolved yeah, I mean, yeah the, the, the race Tottenham, for Champions the League the Tottenham Man City game a couple of weeks ago you know neither of those teams are on fine form this season but it was still a really good match so yeah mm. and everyone's still wondering is someone going to beat Liverpool so you've got that every week as well. Is this team well, going to be the Arsenal one? Well, for Arsenal fans, it's a it's a terrifying prospect that you know the their famous invincible season is yes. is under threat. Um, what I think is going to happen is Liverpool are going to beat their forty nine record, but not beat their thirty eight game within a season record, and then it kind of devalues both records. <laughs> See, um, in other news, Jurgen Klinsmann, he's resigned. As Hertha Berlin manager. On Facebook, didn't he? Didn't yes. He uh, unusually enough, he'd only been in charge 76 days at uh, the Berlin side, but then he announced to the world through the uh, controversial social media platform, uh, without telling the club first, uniquely. It was his first role in club management since 2009, when Facebook was still a valid thing, probably. D- for you, is this kind of, in terms of ethics, is this better or worse than Phil Collins breaking up with his wife by fax machine? Well, I think there's a romance to the fax machine that Facebook possibly right. doesn't have. But Fair. Can I posit the theory that the World Cup semi-final in 1990, West Germany against England, is the game that's produced more bad managers than any other <laughs> match in history? You've obviously got Klinsmann, Lothar Matthäus, not a, you know, checkered a best career in, as a manager. And then from the England side, you've got Terry Butcher, Stuart Pearce, David Platt, Paul Gascoigne, that spell at Ketching, which wasn't altogether good. Um, Peter Shilton as well, Mark Wright. So it's not... Are there any good managers out of that game? Um, I honestly all, don't think there are. Not all of them turned into really moany and excuse-ridden managers, though, did they? I think that's what Jurgen Klinsmann is becoming. He's just like got excuses and a bit moany about everything. Not a fan, Lindsay. Not not if this last tenure. I think. Right. I think this is the one that is perhaps signalling go and have a break. Right. Not since he didn't have Yugi Love alongside him, basically. Yes. Yeah. A couple of questions uh, from listeners to finish off. Here's a cracker from Ricardo Mentio. Klopp says Ricardo has a knack of making relegated players into world class left backs or midfielders, a la Robbo and Genie. Who out of the possible relegation candidates could be another clever bit of transfer dealing for Jurgen? Uh, well, I mean, if you're going by the bottom three at the moment, Abdullah Decore, I think. Right. Uh, Watford, he's... I think he had a bit of an iffy start to the season, but then again, who didn't at Watford? And under Pearson, he's really cracked on, of course, scored a brilliant goal last weekend. Um, so he, I think he, he always had promise, though. I don't oh, think yeah. it would be polishing a you-know-what. Right. Something that he wasn't already, a diamond. He already had diamond. A, a rough yeah. diamond. Is that what you meant? <laughs> Who do you think could be turned into an unlikely uh, success at left back for Liverpool out of the bottom three then? Oh. At left back in particular. Well, or, or a midfield. Well, I'd say or... Gerard Delafeo at Watford has, he could do a Shakiri style fill in role for Liverpool. 
Okay. And obviously as a former Everton player, that would go down well. I think he's already shone, but I think at a bigger club, it would be interesting to see how far he could go is Buendia in midfield, mm. Norwich. I think he's been incredible. Okay. They also do have a, a sort of a clutch of young players. It's not quite the same thing, but but you know, you know, if you want a left-back specifically, Jamal Lewis is pretty good. Um, and then Ben Godfrey and Max Ahrens, they could be good candidates from the uh, from Norwich if they go now. Nice one, Nick. John Coglan, meanwhile, asks, is the English media, and not the English FA, most responsible for VAR being so controversial in England? In other words, has VAR been more successfully implemented in other European countries and why? John, what a question. I, what I'll do is I'll put that to our Euro panel of experts when we convene this coming Monday for Tuesday morning's early edition of the Totally Football Show. My gut feeling is that it's been equally ill-received. Certainly in Italy, uh, there's no love for it, but they seem to be much more resigned to the fact that it's another of life's modern miseries that's come along to spoil things, but that they're not anticipating it going anywhere. Whereas in this country... It feels almost like people are going, we don't like this, so why don't we just there not have been, it anymore? There has been, in comparison to Europe, one glaring omission that has only just started to be addressed, and that's the, the pitch-side monitors. Right. And referees referring to them. Yeah. And I think as soon as that becomes regular and habitual for, for referees every week, then the comparison probably will disappear. One of the big issues about VAR is the fact that it disrupts the game. Mm. And it adds, I mean, I would think typically 60 seconds to 90 seconds to what is already a quite interminable wait. So I'm not sure that it actually helps very much. But, but, there was, a, I mean, this was why the Premier League had this kind of suggestion to referees at the start of the season. There's no point in somebody watching this twice. VAR will watch it in real time and then watch it again and give you an answer. Uh, rather than you having to trudge across to another place, we'll but have people not, looking at straight away. They're not doing that efficiently enough. And, and well, I know. I've been there when they've been watching one thing over yeah. and over for an offside, which we have said in in the first glance that was offside. Mm. So what are they watching over and over and over? Well, because I guess the whole thing about VR is it's not first glance; otherwise, they just leave it to the referee. I, yeah. Lindy, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer also the, because the I don't. Is, like we VAR. saw it in the championship this week where Millwall scored a, an offside goal against Fulham, and everyone's like, "Well, that shouldn't have stood." If we go back 12 months, everyone was complaining about referees' decisions. There's no, you know, we people say we want consistency, but then they also want common sense. It's yeah, like, it's, and the, the no debate answer. this week has gone more to we don't want referees being robotic, right? And we want more personality. And then Is we this get about John John Moss. Yeah, the John Moss thing, I suppose, has come into play and and sparked all that off. We're just always going to talk about it, aren't we? There's I just going to be something, there always. You, there you go, John Coughlin. You had to go and ask about VAR. But we will ask Rafa, Jules and James about uh, how VAR has gone down in uh, in their respective leagues in Tuesday's show. So make sure you tune in for that. For now, that's it. Mm. So many, many thanks for Lindsay Hooper coming in today. Thank you. Thank you, Nick Miller. Thank you. For struggling across the office. <laughs> Good luck with those articles. Well, am I a hero? It's really not for me to say. Right. And, <laughs> and Duncan Alexander. Thanks. Thanks. Listener, thank you. And we'll catch up with you Monday morning. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Hello, 
I'm Emma. And I'm Jeffers. And we're the Series Linked Podcast. Subscribe to our channel for all of the biggest TV interviews. And to stay on top of all the latest telly. It said Gervais sometimes fluffs his lines. Like I'd have left them in. It's a stunning place to shoot. I like put something up on Instagram and there's somebody a post going, oh, you, look at you, lazy-eyed, you're ugly, aren't you? And on the way in upcoming episodes, we speak to Imelda Staunton, David Baddiel, Carl Pilkington and many more. Just search for Series Linked. That's Series Linked. Muddy Knees Media.